Stay tuned now for Pomo Perspective. Are we on? We are on. Good morning, oh, we're Michael. We're live. We're live. Got it. Well, hello. Hey, hey there, Mendocino County and whoever else tunes in throughout the world. We're here to bring you an update on the Jackson Demonstration State Forest. We have my good buddy here, Matt Simmons, attorney for Epic. And I think you're going to start it off this morning? Yeah, I can start it off. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so wanted to give everyone an update on what's been happening in JDSF, the Jackson Demonstration State Forest. Um, so if you've been following this issue, I think you know that logging is resumed. You know, the state has decided to go back in and start logging uh, without finalizing a co-management agreement or getting permission. Um, and we... We started getting reports at Epic. We started getting reports from forest defenders of just these massive logs coming out of some of the THPs that are still open. Uh, Redtail, in particular, is a you know Cal Fire calls it an older forest development area, you know, and so it has bigger logs, second growth logs that are hundred plus years old, you know, fifty five, sixty inches diameter breast height. And those logs are now getting, you know, we're starting to see them getting hauled out of there. Cal Fire claims that these logs were cut back in 2021, you know, that they were cut during the first round of logging. They've been laying on the forest floor for a year, and that now they're finally getting the chance to pull them out. But if you look at these logs, you know, they, they look pretty clean. They don't look like they've been sitting on the forest floor for a year. And so I'd like to see them sort of prove that because otherwise it's, it's hard to know for sure. And there's just so little trust uh, from the community for Cal Fire, right? Like how can we how can we take them at their word when they've gone back on their word so many times? Um, so those two THPs, Redtail, Chamberlain, have been having a lot of activity on them. Cal Fire has also issued closures on Casper 500. Uh, and I believe, no, they have not issued a closure yet on Soda Gulch, but they, they say they intend to. Um, and I think the whole community is, is just sort of watching to see what they do and, and trying to figure out some way to ensure that, you know, these incredibly important pr places are protected. Uh, because otherwise we're going to lose, you know, these really, really unique and, and special forests and they'll take, They'll take more than 100 years to, to grow back and, and to come back to where they're at now. Um, and it's just such a, such a shame that the state is doing this on its own lands uh, when it really doesn't have to, you know? They they make a couple million dollars a year, uh, you know, and they, all that all that does is go in to pay for their, their management, right? So it, it's just a circle that funds itself like a business, right? But the state shouldn't be acting like a business. It should be acting... You know, like a steward that that manages the land in a good way. Um, so we had a, a Jackson advisory group meeting. Uh, the JAG is supposed to represent the public, although I'd say for years it didn't really because uh, so many of the seats on the JAG were held by people who represent the timber industry. Um, but one of the changes Cal Fire has made uh, is that they've added some new members to the JAG, um, including Reno Franklin. Uh, from the Kashaya Pomo uh, tribe, 
and also Joanna Nelson from, say, the Redwoods League. Um, and so they've made the JAG have a bit more representation from, from other groups besides, uh, you know, just timber. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing, we're seeing that change in how these JAG meetings go. I think, I think at the last one we saw, you know, tougher questions asked of Cal Fire by the JAG than they, than they used to get, you know, they, at the request of the public, they went and visited some of the logs, uh, from the Red Tail THP that I was talking about. And if you haven't seen these logs, go to savejackson.org. Uh, we've got photos and you can you can get a sense of just how massive these logs are and how sort of absurd it is that California is selling these logs on its own land to to private um, you know mills. And they looked at these logs and they said, you know is this is this what you really think is good management? And they said, yo, you know these logs were cut in 2021, but I, I think we've got them on the back foot a little bit and got them sort of having to answer for what they've been doing. Um, and my hope is, you know, the, the JAG, as CAL FIRE is rewriting the management plan, you know, the JAG is supposed to be consulted and supposed to have a say. And I think historically they've been sort of pushed aside or they've just been a, you know, a, uh, what is the word? A, a, a group that goes along with whatever CAL FIRE says, sort of a rubber stamp. Uh, and my hope is that that will no longer be the case and that we will get some actual, you know, good representation on the JAG. And that's not enough. I don't think that's enough, but I think it's it's a tiny bit of a start. Uh, and it just shows how much the community has has pushed on these issues and gotten, you know, not the changes we want, but at least we're starting to see changes in, in how Cal Fire reacts. Like we've got them on the back foot a little bit. Um, so that, oh, so then other stuff that happened at the JAG meeting, um, your mom, Michael, wrote a wonderful letter about the Soda Gulch THP uh, months and months and months ago, I think back in August. Uh, and Cal Fire just, just never responded to this letter. And so there was a demand from members of the public uh, for Cal Fire to respond to the letter. That was echoed by members of the JAG who said, I, like, I can't believe you haven't responded to this letter. You know, you don't have to do everything she says, but you have to at least tell her why you're not doing everything she says. Um, and so that was, I think, a powerful moment at the JAG meeting. I should say, I was not at the JAG meeting. I'm hearing all this uh, from someone who was there. So if I get anything wrong, it's a uh, it's a you know telephone problem. But I'm recounting it as best as I could. Um, yeah. So I, I think. Oh, and then there there's been no um, new THPs proposed still. So so something that you know has been sort of interesting with this fight is that everything we've been fighting over has been THPs that were approved sort of before this whole campaign even really began. You know, Casper 500, Soda Gulch, Redtail were all approved back in 2020 before the, the public was really paying attention. And Calvary has not been able to approve a single new THP um, in all these years since then. And I think that that, again, is a sign of just how well the public is doing in this fight. Um, and I just want all of us to remember that because it's it can feel really exhausting when you're in the thick of it, but you gotta you got to remember your wins when they happen. Um, and, but Cal Fire doesn't always have to approve a THP in order to do logging. Um, they can file emergency notices to do logging and they can file exemptions on certain things. And so something that was discussed a little bit at the last JAG meeting was they want to create a shaded fuel break, uh, within what would have been the Mitchell Creek THP. So Mitchell Creek was one of the THPs that was proposed, uh, back in 20, 21 
got a lot of comments from the public opposing it. Cal Fire ended up withdrawing the THP. But now Cal Fire wants to come back in and create a shaded fuel break in part of that THP. Um, for those who aren't familiar, a shaded fuel break, uh, basically you cut down a lot of the trees in a line along an area, and the hope is that that will become a fire line in the event of a any sort of fire that breaks out and that firefighters will be able to use that as sort of a strategic uh, area. Their effectiveness is highly controversial, um, and it sort of feels to me like whenever you try to point that out, they they like change the they change the method they're using to measure effectiveness. Like, you know, I'll point out like, hey, this this shaded fuel break didn't stop the fire, and they're like, oh, it was never supposed to stop the fire. It's supposed to slow it down for a little bit while we're over here, and it's it can be sort of frustrating because it feels like the goalposts move to define it as successful no matter what happens. Separate topic. Anyway, they're trying to approve the shaded fuel break without filing a THP or doing CEQA. They wanna just get an exemption or an emergency notice. Um, if you look at the the documents that were uploaded uh, by CAL FIRE regarding the last JAG meeting, they have a, it's like a little decision tree. So like, if this, then do that. If this, then do that. And it describes how they get out of CEQA uh, by using all these emergencies and exemptions. Um, and so they had a, a discussion about this, but it didn't go very well because they had no specific details to give the public or the JAG about what exactly the shaded fuel break would look like. And so there was no way to have a real discussion about it, except in the very abstract sort of, you know, maybe we will do this somehow. Um, but it's just a sign that CAL FIRE is actively looking for ways to continue to do logging even without, you know, going through environmental review or engaging the public, because, you know, if they do this, they'll take public comment, but it won't have any force behind it. There won't be any, um, you know, there won't be any opportunity for the public to actually step in and stop a project like this because it gets these emergency uh, or exemptions. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary of, of where we're at. Um, if I missed anything, please jump in, Michael. Uh, but I think that's a an update. Uh, I think everyone in the coalition is still still excited about this opportunity and still trying to use um, all the tools that the state gives us to influence this. Um, and you know, I'm I'm dedicated to making sure that the management in Jackson changes for the better. Uh, and you know. We get co-management with the tribes and we can conserve this place in a way that, you know, we'll be proud of 100 years from now. Right. And it won't look the same way it does now 100 years from now. It'll look it'll look 100 years older and closer to old growth. Yeah. Let's talk about JAG. What does JAG stand for? Jackson Advisory Group. Um, it didn't exist until Vince Taylor led his campaign to change the management of Jackson Demonstration State Forest. Uh, and the idea was that it would sort of influence, it would be like the voice of the people to CAL FIRE. Um, but the problem is that it's an entirely uh, advisory body, right? It has no real, it can't veto anything, it can't say no, it can't, uh, it can advise, right? And I think sometimes those advice, that advice is taken, but CAL FIRE and the Board of Forestry can choose not to take their advice when they don't like it. And so that's what we saw with the original Jackson management plan back in 2008, uh, it they wrote all these recommendations that would have been really great in there, the original JAG, 
And then the Board of Forestry just sort of took a red line and crossed out, uh, you know, some of the best conservation stuff. What, what percentage? What percentage of the of those comments from JAG did do you think Cal Fire accepted? So they definitely accepted some because the JAG purposefully wrote it as sort of a compromise document. Hmm. But if you if you think about a compromise, right, where like one side gives some and then the other side gives some, and then the red line half of it. You're just you're just accepting all the things that you would have done anyway, right? Right. Um, and you know, I think a lot of what they did was they changed the language from like shall to should, right? So the management plan right now says you know that the the guidance is that you shouldn't log trees over 48 inches, but it's a it's a should. It's a you know unless right. and then we go in and look at Casper and and Redtail, and in the original plans, you know doesn't really seem like they're following their own guidance because they don't have to. Right. And nobody's verifying. So what I find is, <clears throat> let's, let's stay on JAG a little bit. When, when Vince first won his lawsuit, they created JAG. And JAG was just going to be this advisory group to help, uh, help develop a new forest management plan for Jackson Demonstration State Forest. Well, the same exact thing is what the state tried to do with Coyote Valley for the co-management. What they tried to offer us was tribal consultation. And there's a difference between co-management and tribal consultation. Co-management, you have decision-making authorities. And it's a complete different document, different titles, different structure. And the government still doesn't understand the difference. And, and I'm not sure that even our tribal liaisons understand because I hear them co combine both documents in their verbiage when they're speaking. But in reality, there are two different documents, two different structures. And for the tribal consultation, that was no better than what Vince got offered for JAG. So what they want to say is Coyote Valley, we've agreed to work out a deal with Coyote Valley. But in that deal, it has zero decision-making authorities. So they get to still decide everything just like they did for JAG. But that's what the state does. And I, I think it comes down a lot to practitioners. And... Kevin Conway is, is the leader, I call him the leader, because he just seems to be the spokesperson for what is happening in the Jackson Demonstration State Forest. And we were out at this clear cut, and he says, I think this looks good because I could see what it's going to look like in the future. And I said, no, you can't, because what you're talking about is 100 to 200 years out. And... The fact that the practitioner, the guy that approves these things, thinks that this is a good way of, of managing a forest tells you that we have to have more authorities because one person that's already committed, to me it's a crime, an environmental crime, uh, you know, committed all this and now he's defending it is the person that decides whether he shall or should. The same exact person that put the community, the tribes, CAL FIRE, California Natural Resources Agency in these predicaments, that person, the exact same person, Conway, is the person that gets to decide whether it's shall or should. And that's what the state don't understand. I send them the photos of those logs, of those redwoods, and I, and I, and I said, you, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves. And they won't respond back. And what they, I'm waiting for them to come back, and what they'll say is exactly what Conway said, which is they were all on the, they were already cut. We both know when you pull those up, they don't look like that. They didn't wash them off out there. There ain't no hoses out there. They're not washing them off. We know those are fresh redwoods. 
We're, we, the reason we know it and our group knows it is because we're out there. And you have Conway saying different things. So you have Secretary Crowfoot, and the California Natural Resources Agency Secretary. You have Geneva Thompson, who's the tribal liaison. They don't go out there. So they just get their opinions from Conway. And that's what's crazy to me. And it's, it's insane. It's insane that if you're the regulatory body, it's your job to go out there and verify with your own eyes. Instead, they verify by calling Conway, getting a uh, soundbite or getting a few sentences, and that's the response. And when I think of uh, JAG, I think of a local community um, that doesn't seem to have the best interest of Mendocino County. And now that we have the Kashaya chairman, Reno Franklin, involved, a good friend of mine, we have some representation at a different angle. And I know, and you said we had another lady come up. And who was that person again? Uh, Joanna Nelson worked for the City of the Redwoods League, so she's another you know, conservation-minded person. Got it. And the fact that we got them coming out there seeing it with their own eyes is the difference. But it shouldn't have took us a year. It shouldn't have took us that. We shouldn't have to rally, 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 get 500 people to the Capitol to say, hey, look at the videos and pictures that we're taking. That's all we're asking. If you can't get out there, look at the videos and pictures, right? But we need them out there. And I think we have a good voice with Reno. I don't, I, you know, Joanna, I don't know. She should have been here. She knows better. They all know better. They should have been here. Um, the fact that we invite them to come out over and over to join us to show them what's happening. What I see, <clears throat> this, is, this is what I see in the government. And it's because I've been attending a lot of, I'm trying to find a new audience to spread the message to see if we have organizers. And I went to the California Native, Native Plant Society, and that you turned me on to that, Matt. And they, that whole group, they have no clue. But what I noticed was the group that was there and the agenda that is there, it's based around grants. How do I get funding to do what I think is good for the environment? That's what it seemed to be based around. I went to the EPA conference in Tahoe. Same thing. If you look at their agendas, how do I qualify for grants? And it's, it's funny because before I started this, Secretary Crowfoot asked me, he says, we would like to change the name of that forest or not, or change some names of some streets or something. We'd like to, you know, maybe you guys have, maybe your tribe has some people you would like to change some names. I was like, number one, we're here to negotiate co-management. Don't throw stuff at me. Then later on, it's, hey, you qualify for these grants. What about this? What about that? Hey, let's build a village out there. Once again, let's focus on co-management and not cutting down our redwoods. We spent meeting after meeting after meeting discussing all the things that they did not want to, that they wanted to talk about. Nothing that related to co-management. And I worry about that a lot because I think of the Redwoods League. If you're dependent on grants, if you're dependent on the state giving you money, of course it's going to take you a year and a half to come out and see the evidence that we've been showing. We've created websites for our documentaries. Of course, of course. Now, I see that with Senator McGuire, and I see that with Wood, Assemblyman Wood, is they turn a blind eye. We can't get them out there to even look at the proof. And all we're saying is, hey, come look. See it with your own eyes. And we can't because it's just like the grant system. 
they depend on Cal Fire Union to help fund their campaigns. So everybody, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, uh, Redwood League, you're dependent on these grants. Well, you can't protest if you're dependent on these grants unless you want it to get cut. You can't, you can't go out there and say, hey, Cal Fire, you're doing it wrong if you want to get their money. It's just it, it, the system that we've created is, 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 is killing our Jackson demonstration state force as we speak. It's that system. And so when I get offered all these things, I know to turn it down. It reminds me, I was watching Dave Chappelle, and he says, no, I don't want a shoe contract because they'll take my shoe contract away or they'll threaten me and I, or that if they don't take my shoe contract away, I have to do this and that. And, and, I, and I think the same thing. And it was funny. I was just listening to that going, that's the same thing here is everybody's relying on money. And the Democrats feel that if we just give you money, it'll shut you up. But what about the message that the Democrats been been selling? Environment first, environment first. How can you be an environment first and cut 100 to 200 to 300 year old redwoods? It makes zero sense. And when I was at these conferences, people say things like often. So are you saying you should never cut a redwood? And I'm and I know what they're getting at. I say, hey, we should. It's okay. There comes a time when you should cut a redwood. But those redwoods that you're talking about no longer exist. We have timber harvest plants in the Jackson Demonstration State Forest that no longer have potential elder trees. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, Matt, this potential elder tree. And, and what, what, what we see happening in red tail is let's cut them before we make this a rule. And so that's what they're doing. They're making a run to cut real quick. But would you touch a little bit on the potential elder tree, maybe a little bit about Professor Sillette and what they're working on? Yeah, I can do my best. Uh, so, oh, yeah. Uh, I just want to mention this is Pomo Perspective with your host, Chairman Michael Hunter, and Michael's guest today is Matt Simmons, uh, attorney for the Environmental Protection Information Center, and we're talking about Jackson Demonstration State Forest. Yeah, so uh, Professor Stephen Sillette is a world-renowned uh, forest scientist. Uh, uh, redwoods, in particular, are a specialty, uh, and he has this it's interesting so basically the idea is not every redwood tree growing in a forest is going to live to be a thousand thousand five hundred years old you know naturally they sort of compete with each other a little bit and you get one you know if you if you think about an old growth redwood forest right it's not they're spread out a little bit right they're not all clumped together you've got big trees spread out and then if you compare that to you know new growth Right, right, right after they cut it, you get lots of little sticks sprouting up all close together. And so his, his research that is focused on how to regrow old growth and how to get that back has argued for sort of identifying the healthiest trees in the forest and then cutting around them to sort of create space, uh, for them to grow. I, you know, I think there's situations where that makes sense, particularly in, uh, you know, new growth where it's it's really dense and, and just hasn't had any sort of fire or management at all. Um, and, you know, I think in particular, the nice thing about it uh, on a 
on a place like Jackson that is, you know, designated for timber is you're saying this tree is never going to be cut down, which is a which is a hard thing to get them to admit to do. You know, clearly they they don't ever want to do this. And so when you when you mark a potential elder tree, you're saying you're not just in this timber harvest plan, but never we're going to cut this tree down because you know, we could save a tree in one timber harvest plan and they can come back in 10, 15 years later and cut it down. In the life of the redwood, you know, you saved it like what, like half a year, six months, you gave it a, a part in and then it gets cut down. Right. Um, these potential elder trees are going to be marked and they're going to be saved forever. They're going to be, you know, geo, uh, they'll put a little, um, what are those things called? Like a little geo marker thing. And, you know, they'll, it'll like be like, at the airport where they're waving you and it starts beeping or whatever, like, you'll know this tree is never going to get cut down. I think what you talked about um, earlier is that the problem is that they're not always going to be marking the oldest tree as the potential elder tree, right? Right now we're seeing them, you know, they're going to mark the one right next to it, right, and cut down that big old tree, uh, you know, and try to get as many big logs out of there right now as they can so that the potential elder tree that they mark isn't actually, you know, the most um, developed tree in an area. And so we have this concern that, you know, they'll go in and, you know, it's nice that they're protecting a tree, but it's like, which tree do they choose? How do they right. choose the tree? And I think part of what you want is, you know, your say in that as, as, a tribe and as a government, right? Because this is a decision that's going to impact your land for the next thousand years, right? And Us. So be, yeah. And Mendocino so it, County. Mendocino County. Let's be real. Let's, let's, I mean, <clears throat> we touched on assemblyman and senator. We recognize they're not from Mendocino County. You know, it is what it is. They don't represent us. They've shown it. We've asked to meet with them over and over, come out, show them proof, but they don't want to see it. They'd rather be blind to it. But now I say, okay, how do we get Mendocino County to recognize what is happening? Not so much as the coastal, because they, they, they're aware, they're engaged. But Ukiah, how do we get the Board of Supervisors? We can't even get the Board of Supervisors to go look with their own eyes, because they know once they've seen it, you can't argue it. And I don't understand why the Board of Supervisors would not be very, very active on this. I don't understand why the Board of Supervisors is okay with the state, with the government coming in and extracting our resources in Mendocino County, extracting them. And while they're extracting them, they're cutting down our oldest redwoods. While they're extracting them, they're creating a fire hazard because they leave all of the, all of the limbs behind after they take that old redwood out. They spray hack and squirt on these roads so they could still get to these logs to cut. And I mean, come on, this—I don't understand how people, don't, how Cal Fire doesn't get this. If you spray anything, even if it's healthy, on the top of a mountain or on a top of anything, it's going to go down. And if you, once rain comes, where do you think it's going to wash to? The rivers, the creeks. Where do we get our water? And then the aquifer. And we better hope our aquifer cleans it by the time it gets to us. It just blows my mind how Mendocino County does not see that, how the Board of Supervisors don't see that, how they don't understand the science behind it. But then, you know, we're the county that said, hey, no more mom and pa grows. Only landowners get to grow now. 
We've seen what that done to Mendocino County. We see the expansion of what's happening in the ag drought. I talked to my friends that, that uh, manage vineyards, and they're saying, drought keeps us from growing a lot. We can't do a lot. But yet, they don't do it. I don't understand where our county is or where our representation is. And I see the drop in revenue coming to this county through the grows, through ag. And now, now the only last natural resource we have left, they're extracting. And I'm saying, if you don't care about them cutting redwoods, that's okay. What kind of person is that? But if you don't care, you should save that redwood till it's bigger so you can get more money. Because that's about the only resource you're going to have. It just takes me back to 95 when I, when I was in college and all the mills started closing down and everybody started going on unemployment in this county. And it just blows my mind that this exact same people that are at the table with the Board of Supervisors, city councils, are the same people making the same bad mistakes over and over and over. And it blows my mind because it's not rocket science. It's just complicated. But if you get out there, you can see it. And then nobody can argue with your own eyes. But how do we get the county board of supervisors to take a stand, to go out there with us and say, hey, no more, enough's enough. Because I, I know this for a fact. If the board of supervisors and the tribes and the local community just went out there and said no more, they would stop. They, the reason I know this is because they've stopped just because the community and the tribes got out there without any representation from our county or our state. And we stopped it. But now they're continuing. But let's talk about some of the wins we got, Matt, because I think the people think that it's such a big fight that we can't win it. But it's not true. We're winning, winning, winning. Well, can you talk a little bit about the things that, that, they're, that they're starting to say, hey, we'll give you this to try to quiet you down? Yeah. Um, so Calfire came out with, uh, like a vision document, which was their sort of proposal uh, for the future. One of the things that stuck out to me was a promise not to cut trees over 48 inches in the active timber harvest plans, uh, like Redtail and Casper. We're already starting to see, you know, those big logs. So unclear uh, how serious they were about that. Although I, I just will say they claimed those trees were cut before that document. Um, I think another, you talked about this a little bit, but we already have a Jackson advisory group. They want a tribal advisory group. I'm, I'm calling it the tag. They, they didn't say tag in the document, but they want to um, have representation. And they were very clear to say all of the tribes with ancestral territory in Jackson. Uh, and But it would, again, be an advisory group, just like you were saying. And right. so that's not co-management. I think this is not something they – well, it is something they gave us. They withdrew – the three timber harvest plans, Mitchell Creek, Little North Fork, Big River, and uh, Boundary Creek. Uh, and I think that that's a real victory because it means that they don't have any coming up sort of like in the shoe, right? Like normally in these fights, every year you'd have two or three, four even timber harvest plans that you'd have to fight and deal with. After after these ones that are currently approved, right, We they don't have any upcoming timber harvest plans. And so we've got this opportunity coming up where we're not going to be focused on those timber harvest plans. They're not going to be focused on those timber harvest plans. And so hopefully we can use that opportunity to make real significant changes to management in the forest. Um, I think 
you know, it's so frustrating because a lot of the people you just talked about who aren't there with us, they've, they've, they've said the right things, right? You know, the Board of Supervisors unanimously uh, passed a resolution saying that CAL FIRE had to explain to them, like, what they're doing in the forest and, and explain the science behind what the research, what they're doing. That was a year ago. I think CAL FIRE gave, like, a, a PowerPoint presentation that no one was particularly satisfied by, right? And so I think what you're saying, like, Let's go back to the board of supervisors and say, like, hey, are you happy with how things are going? Do you think do you think this is the best use of this land still? Um, you know, Assemblymember Wood and Senator McGuire have both made statements about how they think that big trees shouldn't be cut down um, and that there should be a dialogue. But they're not they're not, you know, in our corner. They're sort of they're saying as, as little as they can and then and then kind of going back down. And so I think in these sorts of situations, you know, it's good to keep the pressure on them and, and really try to, you know, do that. And I also, you know, I, I am looking at other legislators from other parts of the state, right? Because although Jackson is located in Mendocino County, it's a state forest. It's run by the state. You know, I think everyone in California should have a say in, in how Jackson is run to some extent, right? Like, yeah, um, especially Mendocino County. Yeah. I mean, this is this is our county. Yeah. You know, there's boundaries here. You know, so so my mind, we're winning. We're getting there. But <clears throat> now they want to start moving again. And now they're starting to cut and red tail. So what do you think we need to do moving forward, Matt? Yeah. So one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is the legislation that currently manages Jackson Demonstration State Forest. This was written back in 1947, and it says... We're going to demonstrate how to do good logging in this forest. We're going to produce a lot of timber for the state of California. And the whole thing is written with just such a different mindset than I think anyone in California has today, right? Like even, even the folks who are pro-timber, they write things differently today because they like just the, the background knowledge about how timber should work has changed since 1947. And so it's, it's desperately due for an update. Uh, and I think that talking to legislatures about it and framing it in that way of like, here's this law, the zombie law that's been going since 1947. Most Californians don't know about our state forests, right? Most Californians don't understand that the state is logging these large redwoods. Let's, let's update this, you know, for mm-hmm. modern times with modern values. And by modern values, I mean, you know, tribal management, conservation, recreation, carbon storage and sequestration, all of the all the good things that we know we can get out of a forest if we aren't just focused on profit and cutting trees down. Um, and I think, you know, I, this idea of a demonstration forest is so interesting, right? Because back in 1947, it was like, all right, let's demonstrate how to cut trees down. But I still think we should be demonstrating things in that forest. I just think we should be demonstrating all those values that I just talked about. Let's demonstrate a good relationship between the tribes and the state and how they can co-manage lands. Let's demonstrate how much carbon we can pull out of the air using redwoods, which are these like natural like machines for fighting climate change that we're only here in, in, you know, Northern California, right? Let's use this incredible gift that we have. Let's recreation, you know, recreation is a huge part of the economy now, right? Lots of folks come up to Mendocino 
just to you know mountain bike and mushroom forage and and all that in Jackson. And that's without the state really investing all that much money into that as a resource, right? They're right. focused on cutting trees down. You know, they don't build nice facilities and in, in, in camps and things. I think that if the state reprioritized, they could actually extract more value through recreation than they could through timber harvest. But their mindset is so focused on that old way of viewing the world, right? And it's encaptured in that legislation from 1947. And so I think we need to update it and really, um, I think it's obvious. I think it's obvious. And I think, like you're saying, once you see it, once you come down and visit, you're like, why Why would we waste this resource that we have, right? Right. Um, Makes no sense. Savejackson.org will show you all that. Also, also too, is... If you're going to take them, if you're going to extract our old redwoods for for revenue, the revenue should never go towards bureaucracy in Sacramento for office people to process paperwork. That's where the money goes. It doesn't stay in you in here. If you're going to log those redwoods, you have to at least put the money back into restoration. How do we spend ninety percent plus of our revenue coming in to log? versus to restore. I was talking to a good friend of mine and he was saying that one of the one of his friends had a contract for for rest for cleaning out the underbrush, small tools and clean it out. And he said he was worried that he was going to lose his job. And I said, no brother, you tell him that we're going to hire more people just like him. We're not going to spend a majority of our budget on building roads to log more trees. We want to spend a majority of our budget restoring and hiring people that have small tools to get in there and clear out this underbrush. So I think the county is is starting to wake up a little bit. We keep coming on the show to try to keep sharing. Maybe, maybe Alicia, we want to open up the lines and see if anybody wants to ask some questions and see where we're at. Sure, absolutely. Okay, this is Pomo Perspective, and your host is Michael Hunter, and Matt Simmons is the guest from Epic, and the phone lines are open. The number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448, and I'll just give you a signal when the phones start flashing here in the studio. Yeah, thank you. I was about 48 inches they say we won't cut anything less than 48, which we already proved that they already are. Now, where did they get that? You know where they got that? From the mill, because that's how small their tools will go to. So they went and instead of looking at it for environmental reasons to say what trees are fire resistant, they say, mill, how do we keep you going so you could cut these? All right, we have a call. Okay. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Uh, yeah, just a quick question. Uh, it's my understanding that decades ago, the proceeds uh, from logging on JDSF went to small, uh, non-industrial timberland managers, uh, and now uh, most of that, most of those proceeds go to pay operating costs, salaries, and supplies, and stuff like that. And I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, so I think part of what you're seeing there is just that the economics of of timber have changed, right? It's 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 sort of gotten more expensive to log, and it, it's less of a 
it's less of a moneymaker than it used to be. And so I think, you know, in the past, you know, not only did JDSF have more standing timber on the ground to make money off of, right? They they like to claim that when they got the land, it was like totally cut over. But the fact is that they had a lot of old growth left that they continued to log through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, and so when you have giant logs that have been growing for 2,000 years and you cut them down, you, you, you're flush with cash. And so you can spread it around a lot more. Whereas today, you know, they're dealing with you know, really nice second growth and second growth is incredibly rare in California because all of our industrial timberlands are on these like 30 year rotations, but it's not what it used to be. And so it's not the same money making opportunity that it was. And I think you're seeing a tightening up of, of their budget basically. And then the flip side of that is that it's just gotten more expensive to, to hire people to do all the work that needs to be done. Um, Um, so before we took the color, we were talking about all the restoration work that needs to be done. And something that, you know, I think Cal Fire will claim is, oh, the, the logging is paying for that restoration work. And if you actually, if you look at it, that's just not like you're saying, Michael, most of the time, the logging is paying for the logging, right? It's paying for the work that has to be done to prepare a timber harvest plan. It's paying salaries, right? And it's not that many people that it's employing especially in our in the county that has all these other opportunities. And so I would love to see something that I really want to see is Jackson just get a source of funding from the state that's just set, you know, in stone, coming from the state every year to pay for all that restoration work without any sort of requirement to log, right? And you can demonstrate all that sort of restoration that we really need to see, right? And, you know, we've got We've got rivers full of coho salmon that could be restored. We've got logging roads that need to be deactivated. We've just got so much work that needs to be done that can employ people. If you stop focusing on cutting big trees down as your sort of be all end all of what a forest should be about. And you know, California is a rich place. We're the fifth largest economy in the world, right? We can afford to stop logging our state forests, making a couple million dollars a year. A couple million dollars a year. Right. right? We offered to buy it. We offered to pay, we offered to buy these THPs out and they still declined it. And that tells you it's not the money they're receiving today, it's the money they want to get in the future. We were willing to buy these existing THPs and say, hey, let's start fresh, rewrite the forest management plan. We'll, we'll buy these, take them off the market, and they still didn't want to do it because they don't want to stop. And that's the real truth. But let's remember, Jackson Demonstration State Forest is a state forest. We're not talking private lands and say, hey, let's kill an economy in Mendocino County. We recognize there's an economy here. We're not trying to do that. What we're saying is stop logging our redwoods in our state park. It's not yours. Go buy your own property. Do whatever the hell you got to do. But don't do it with ours. We have a caller. All right. Yep, we've got a caller. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Good morning. This is a. I'm so glad this is back in front of the public. This issue. This is Redwood Mary. This has been going on for years and years and years. And I like. I think it was Matt that mentioned the bigger economic issues here. And uh, the money can be found to turn this into a demonstration forest for restoration, science, science uh, study, etc. 
except the conversation keeps going down to, you know, the technical aspects of this diameter of trees and this THP and it's ne we're never getting out of the weeds to get to what needs to be done. And uh, I don't know how that's going to happen to get it um, to a, <clears throat> to the uh, governor. Um, there's money coming down from the feds and from the state for this type of, of work. And I think the universities somehow need to be brought into the picture um, in terms of mm. ecological sustainability. So um, we keep preaching to each other and keep preaching to the choir. And I think there's a lot of young people out there that might have some other ideas because what we've been doing for 40, 30, 40 years doesn't seem to shift the, shift the needle. And um, do we need to get universities out here, uh, students and faculty, to do assessments and to uh, bring the data forth that we, we need the data to argue for the money? And I don't think we have that capability here on the coast. So I'm just putting that out there. It's just um, I don't have the answers. I know we've all been courageous trying to do so much for so many years, but maybe we need to uh, bring in outside people to help us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for the question, Mary. So, so you touched on something really interesting, which is that a lot of our colleges send their forestry students to Jackson to sort of you know, view what they're doing in Jackson and learn how to be a forester, right? And I think, you know, I think a lot of our problems in forestry sort of stem from that, right? If you're being educated on how to do forestry and the examples you're seeing are those like big group selections and clear cuts that Michael was talking about and you're, and Kevin Conway's there being like, this looks great to me, right? Like, and that's the education you're getting. That's going to trickle down to all of your work that you do throughout the state. But imagine if Jackson had a new mandate that was focused on restoration, and that was the place we were educating foresters, right? right. It, won't, it won't just help Jackson. It'll help the entire state, right? It'll, it'll reverberate through how we manage all of our forests. And, you know, I think I'm up in Arcata, right? We've got Cal Poly Humboldt, which has a forestry school. We've got College of the Redwoods up here, which has a forestry school. They started... College of the Redwoods Forestry Department started following me on Instagram. They wanted to see what I was saying about Jackson and stuff. And I'm like, look, I get that we need forestry schools and that we need you guys to learn what you're doing. I just want what we're teaching you to be focused on, you know, 21st century values, right? And not 20th century values. And I think, again, this is just why Jackson is so important, is that what happens in Jackson will reverberate throughout the rest of the state because it's where we train people. It's where we do this sort of thing. Um, and so, and then the other question was about money. And I think, again, we, we've seen the state send money and I think they need to keep doing it. Um, Matt, Matt that, that money, <clears throat> remember, we've offered to pay this. Yeah. But, but not only that is, is you see there's federal dollars coming down. Tribes have access to this. Just, just last week, I had the opportunity to go to the White House and, I, and, with, and meet Dr. Jill Biden, First Lady. But my whole point was really to get with with Deb Holland, Secretary of Interior. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I was asking her, do I have to, does that state forest have to be um, uh, entrusted by the tribe for us to access these dollars? She says, no, no. 
So I come back and I tell the state, hey, there's these new pots of money. We have access that you may not have, and we could put this money. I'm talking millions and millions. Like, I want it. We have it. I'm talking to Deb Hall. I'm talking to the main people saying, yes, we want to give you this money because we want to restore that state forest. They don't want it. Like, Cal Fire does not want any of the money because then they'll have to be told what to do. It's crazy to me. Did you say we have another caller on, Misha? Yeah, we've got another call. Good morning, caller. You still there? Yes, hello. Um, I was wondering if uh, you guys were aware of the book, Finding the Mother Tree. Hello? I, I have not read that book. Alicia has. You. I love that book. Showing my bias here. I love that book. It's a book by Suzanne Simard. She talks about the, Simard, yeah. the, mar the mycorrhizal networks beneath the soil that create a communication network between all of the multi-ages of trees and multi-species. Sorry, I'm going to stop talking because I could take no, up I, the rest of the show. I, uh, <laughs> I love mycorrhizal networks. Good to know that that's the, the topic. <laughs> well, well, she basically scientifically proves the interrelationships and the benefits to leaving you know, standing large uh, timbers. So I just wanted to know if that research might be used in your in your work. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think it definitely uh, is going to be used. And I think we're seeing kind of a revolution in terms of how we think about trees and how we think about, you know, their relationship to each other and to, you know, uh, the plants and animals. And I, I think... You know, it's it's a revolution, but it's actually in a lot of ways going back to what, you know, Michael and, and you know, your people, Michael, have known for forever, which is that, like, we're all connected. We're all part of nature. We're not separate from it. Um, and that, you know, there's there's this importance to protecting nature because you're sort of protecting yourself when you do it. Um, and I think, you know, one of the complaints that I hear all the time from people who like what they're doing in Jackson Demonstration State Forest is that it's this place to do research, right? But there are, there are non-destructive, non-logging forms of research that can still be done in a forest, right? And I think that what you were, that, that all that information about Mike, sorry, I'm bad at pronouncing this word, Mike Corizel. Mike Corizel. One of those one of those examples of scientists taking something that could have been like a fun word and making it a hard to pronounce word. Uh, but anyway, I, all of that kind of research can still be done in a forest that's focused on restoration, right? And we can learn valuable things about the world and you know apply that uh, in how we think about it without sort of needing to do the, like blogging that is causing all the problems. Right. You know, it's just. To me, it just seems uh, I don't understand how people don't think the earth made us. I just don't understand it. And as long as we're so disconnected to believing that we were made mysteriously versus to earth is why people think it's okay to extract from the earth, not knowing that you're just killing yourselves. Let's talk about that fire break a little bit real quick, Disha. Well, we do, we do have another call if you want to take it. Got it. Got it. I was I was in Lake Tahoe and that fire break. All that fire break was was cutting down all big trees by a big tree. They just cut down the big trees by another big tree. And all that does is make it desert. And you can look at it. I just sit there and go, wow, yeah, you not, might not get a fire in, right by the lake, but <clears throat> you're going to kill it later. 
you're just killing it. No vegetation. And that's their idea of these fire breaks. Go ahead, Alicia. Sorry about that. We do have another call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, hi, Alicia. <clears throat> this is David. I'm, uh, I wanted to say two things. One, uh, yeah, the mycorrhizal association is important, but redwoods, like many trees in the forest, uh, root graft. They share, uh, they share nutrients and all kinds of other things uh, among them. And when you cut out when you remove large trees, you are disrupting that community in a in a very uh, profound way. But um, so it's. Uh, but but I want to support Michael's claim and also Matt's. Uh, forestry is an extremely primitive science that you you can hardly call it a science. It's just a a, met, a methodology to cut trees down. The science is so weak and so. Uh, so poorly uh, done that uh, that it doesn't even re- really qualify as science. And I think w- what we need now, especially as the climate changes, <clears throat> the, the idea that that trees c- can can reach a hundred years old, that redwood trees will even be around uh, for a hundred years for its, uh, for hundreds of years, uh, I think uh, is in question. And what we need. Is is exactly what Michael is talking about. We need the we need an indigenous mindset and and not kind of the industrial uh, capitalist mindset that is driving these uh, uh, all of this activity in Jackson State and in in the timber industry generally. It's uh, it's based on delusion about the ability of forests to grow back, and and there's good evidence on on Jackson State of a phenomenon called premature senescence. The trees are are acting like old trees, even though they're only 30 or 40 or 50 years old, and that's partly because of all the uh, ecological disruption above the the soil and, and, and below the soil surface that is uh, preventing these trees from even reaching any of the sizes we're talking about because uh, so m- there's been so much disruption. So, again, in the indigenous mindset of, of protection and, and nurturing, that's what we need, and, and that's what's missing in, this, uh, in the mindset of the Jackson State crowd. Yeah, and also, thank you, I appreciate that. Also, what I tell people is, um, when I'm meeting with Cal Fire, Secretary Crowfoot, or even representatives, I'm the only one at that table that is not receiving money from them, whether it be a paycheck, a grant, whatever it is. That alone, the fact that Coyote Valley said, we will not take any more, we will not be involved with the state to where we have to be dependent on them and make us make bad decisions. We've, we've made that decision before I got into this movement because I know what the state does. I've seen them do it to Coyote Valley. I've seen them do it to my family. I've seen, I've seen my mother was at gunpoint because of a tax issue, gunpoint because she was known as a radical, gunpoint with my children. Think about that. That's what this state does. Like, I really do worry. When are they going to come after the nonprofit that I created? When are they going to come after me? 
When they're going to, you know, I know they can't come after the tribe because we're too strong. But when did they start picking us apart? You know, and so it's fearful. It really is. I get worried. And when we don't have our board of supervisors, our assembly, our senator, they're leaving us, the people like us, you know, out there to hang. And they're not interested in saving this forest. So an indigenous mind is important. But also, we have to make sure being dependent on their money is just as, is just as worse. We can't be dependent on their money because we'll all. Everybody will always continue to make decisions based on money if they do. Did you say we have another caller or are we about three no, minutes we've left? Got about, yeah, two, two minutes left now with the, with the show. You know, I want to talk about that 48 inches a little bit more before we end. The fact that the secretary would go to a mill versus go to Stephen Select, the professor they hired, to ask them which trees are fire resilient. What diameter is fire resilient? That's what it should be based on. This diameter is fire resilient. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's not gonna, it's gonna outlast the fires. So those are the ones we leave. How in the heck can you get that from a mill? I just don't get it. And I, we really need our county to wake up. I think if you go to Jackson, savejackson.org, you'll find all the information you need on there. And get engaged. Get involved. Call your supervisors. Tell them to get involved. Get over there. Why aren't they taking pictures? Why aren't they calling for these meetings? Why aren't they calling, bringing Cal Fire in the state to the Board of Supervisors meetings? You know, it's wild to me. Call, uh, call Assemblymember Wood and McGuire, too, and Senator McGuire. You know, they, they've been awfully quiet on this issue, uh, and I think they need to be reminded that, you know, their constituents want to see change. And that, you know, as legislators... They're they're saying that that old 1947 legislation that says we should be logging is okay with them, that they aren't going to push to change that. All right. Well, on that uh, on that last word, thank you so much. It's been Pomo Perspective with host chairman Michael Hunter and guest today, Matt Simmons of the Environmental Protection Information Center. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.